Hola, this is Enrique Morones with Gente Unida with another incredible episode of Magnificent Mujer like we have every Tuesday. Every Tuesday at three o'clock, we have people in the know, people that have been, uh, that are newsmakers, people that you need to get to know. And today is no exception. Sarah Bella, our producer, Enrique Morones, yours truly, are introducing you to another magnificent mujer. And it's none other than Michelle McCurdy. Michelle, welcome to Magnificent Mujer. Thank you so much for having me, Enrique. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Well, we're really excited to have you with us. Uh, I know you have a very interesting background as far as uh, where your family comes from, as far as your work, you're a nurse practitioner. You have a lovely daughter, which I met not too long ago at one of our protests. And I was mm -hmm. really surprised when I asked her if that was the first time she was in a cage, <laughs> demonstrating the children being in cages. And she said, no, it's not. And I said, oh, have you been in another protest? And she goes, no, I haven't. And I thought, what? And she said, I, I'm in the cage sometimes with my kittens. And her friend goes, I'm in the cage sometimes in the chicken coop in my backyard. So I was thinking totally different. <laughs> yes. The beauty of children and, and from the mouth of babes. But yes. Your work, Michelle. Uh, thank you very much for the work that you do. You're a frontline worker in the medical field as a nurse practitioner. And one of the things that I like to do when we start our podcast is have the person tell us a little bit about themselves in their own words. So maybe you can share a little bit about your background and, and who is Michelle McCurdy? Yes, so um, I have lived in Southern California since 1997. I'm not a native, uh, but people often ask me where I'm from and I always have a hard time answering that question because my father worked for a humanitarian organization called Catholic Relief Services. So I spent all my childhood living in many different countries. The only time I lived in the United States was five years during middle school in New York City on a little, on Roosevelt Island. Some of you out there may be familiar with it. It's got that red tram that goes across. Uh, so I got a lot of American culture in that five years. Um, and I came back to the United States for college, uh, went to University of Wisconsin-Madison and got my bachelor's in nursing. After that, I joined the Navy. I was a Navy nurse, active duty in Camp Pendleton. So that's how I pretty much came to Southern California was um, uh, working as an active duty Navy nurse for three years. I only did three years of active duty and then I did five years of inactive reserves. I had to sign up for a total of eight years. Um, my husband and I knew each other in high school and actually he was the impetus for me coming out in addition to the Navy coming out here to San Diego because he, he was living out here. And um, so since then I, I did my, my uh, five, uh, my active duty training um, as a Navy nurse. I, I then worked in the private sector as a nurse. And then I returned to public service uh, as a nurse practitioner and, um, at City College at, stu at the student health clinic there. And I just love that. I love the work there. Um, and I'm so grateful that I get to serve in that capacity. City College has a lot of diversity. I'm very familiar with City College. I, yes. I live downtown, so I drive by there all the time. And, uh, and I know a lot of people that have studied there, that have taught there. It's a, it's a wonderful yeah. college. Yeah. And you said that you were in the, in the military, so thank you for your service there. And you nurse. That's how you, you know, a nurse originally, which you still are. Now you're a nurse practitioner. What got you involved in the medical field? What was the interest as far as being a nurse? 
Well, my initial interest was history and French. So I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I couldn't see where I would go. Um, I knew that I wanted to still be have the flexibility and, 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 and ability to travel. And I wanted a skill set. I wanted to just be able to graduate and have a skill set. And nursing was a really nice combination of, of sort of the, that, those social skills as well as, um, as, well as, a, as science. So I, I've, I've enjoyed, I always enjoyed the sciences, but I've also enjoyed the liberal arts as well. I really, um, so nursing was a nice combination of those two. So, um, and, I, and I really enjoyed it, enjoy it very grateful wonderful work that you're doing and your father of course catholic charities i'm very familiar with them yeah. as well catholic relief services yeah oh, catholic relief services right and, yes. and also uh the university of wisconsin yes there many times as you know they have several campuses and i would do a regular debate series against the president of a hate group which is called the federation of american immigration reform really and stein so him and I would go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. We did it many, many times. When was this? This was maybe five, six, seven. We did it for several years. I would say huh. five to eight years ago. Wow. And, and it was really interesting because I go all around and give lectures, but the ones I prefer are the debates. Because when you give a lecture, the people that come to the lecture are usually people that support your viewpoint. Right, right. So you're not going to hear somebody that you totally disagree with. You might protest outside, but you don't sit there to listen to them. Absolutely. But a debate, you get both sides. And in a typical debate at, at uh, let's say, at the University of Wisconsin in Madison or, or St. Croix or one of the campuses, we would have all these students. And when I would walk in, let's say there's a thousand students, 600 students were on my side. They agreed with my points of view on immigration and so forth. Dan Stein would have about a hundred students on his side. They agreed with the anti-immigrant point of view. And 300 students were on nobody's side. Right. That's who I was trying to talk to. And we would do the debate, and after 45 minutes of debate, and then we do questions and answers. At the end, typically, my 600 grew to about 800. His 100 remained about the same, and there was 100 that didn't know what to do still. They still were, were not on either side. And that's kind of the way the country has been for a long time, until more recently, with, with what's right. been going on the, the last few years. So your work, more important than ever, especially with the fact that uh, you're a nurse practitioner and you've been very active with a group called Doctors for Camp Closure. What is Doctors for Camp Closure? What is it that you people in the medical field are doing, which I support? Yes, um, now I have to say, I'm not um, a leader in the movement, so I can't speak for them. So I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. So, you know, they may correct what I'm saying, but from what, from my understanding is, it, it's been, it's about a year old, and it was started by um, a physician or a group, a small group of physicians that just, you know, they, they take a Hippocratic oath to do no harm. And they, they were, you know, kept seeing story after story in the news about the mistreatment of uh, those in our detention facilities. And they, they, they felt like they had to speak up. So they formed this group about a year ago. And I believe the initial action I got involved in was the push to give flu vaccines to those in, within the camps. And we, we went down there to Otay Mesa with vaccines, with our um, licenses, 
and requested to be allowed entry and we were denied. I think they had tried that. That was a second time. I think they tried it one time before that and a few were arrested. Um, we went down again. So the whole, the whole idea is to, you know, um, is to uphold the humanity and the health of, of those who are seeking comfort and safety in our country. And to have a group of people, what it what seems to be look like more and more that there's just obvious cruelty involved. And I've got my kittens here that are deciding to Welcome. Um, Welcome. Yes, yes, that one's Zena. Um, but to see this cruelty on behalf of, you know, in our name is just unacceptable. So, so that's what we do is we, we try to, as we, we've come together as a group of not just physicians, but as nurse practitioners, nurses, healthcare providers, and our allies in the community to, to stand up and say, this is not acceptable. And these camps need to be closed. Ultimately, that's what we want, to close these camps. It's very honorable what you're doing on all fronts there. And the way I found out about Doctors for Camp Closure, like a lot of people, was I saw the picture of the protests in front of the Border Patrol offices, where I've been many times for meetings and so forth to protest. And uh, you had your lab coat. So immediately yes. people can't say, know what you're doing. All you see is a picture. You see you in lab coats, the nurse practitioners, doctors, nurses, et cetera. Immediately, immediately you get it. You get it. So yeah. when I saw that picture in the, in the local paper, I immediately contacted, uh, tried to find out who, you know, how to get a hold of you all. I met Terry, the local leader, and, it's, and we've been partners ever since. Right. Uh, and, and, and we've joined on, on, in protest like we've, we've been doing the last several weeks and will continue to do until yeah. the situation changes. And we were talking about the flu vaccines. This is before COVID. We right, before COVID. That was, that yeah, was right. the big problem back then. It was just the flu. And now it's so much worse than that. <laughs> That's right. Sadly, it, it is so much worse. And sadly, the situation hasn't improved. It's gotten worse because yeah. you have all these people close together. You have the children in cages. Uh, half the people have COVID. They're not freeing them. They could easily have ankle bracelets and let them go. Uh, right. So they have to show up in court like President Obama used to do. So it's, it's a horrific yeah. situation. Now, what are the, the workers there too? The workers, yeah, everybody, everybody, everybody. Those yeah. uh, facilities, which are very inhumane. Now, what yeah, is the absolutely. difference between a nurse and a nurse practitioner? Well, a nurse, we use the generic term nurse, and that can mean, you know, that that term is used for anywhere from a nursing assistant. Um, that has one semester of training all the way to the registered nurse, which, you know, bachelor's prepared registered nurse, four years, you know, co college graduate. So, um, and uh, all the way up to actually a PhD nurses, right? There's, there's just this very wide range. So uh, thank you for asking this question because the public is so often confused about what nurse, what nurses are actually and, and what we do. So, um, so nurses actually apply to the nurse, our nurse practitioners are nurses. We have to also be registered nurses. So we actually have dual roles, two roles in one, which is the beauty of being a nurse practitioner. And nurse practitioners, though, um, have advanced degrees. Uh, we go on to get uh, either a master's or a doctorate in nursing. And our focus is then expanded to include, you know, 
um, prescribing medications, diagnosing, treating, um, and it, and again, just just like in just like in the field of nursing in general, it is a holistic field. We look at the big picture, um, and that's that's pretty much what we do. Most of it is, is wellness prevention education, but we also diagnose and treat. We can order lab tests. We can you know, function in, in, in the, much of the capacity as physicians can, although we do have restrictions, more restrictions. And, and, and one of the, uh, it's a very serious movie that, that I've seen many times, it brings tears to my eyes because it's so serious, Meet the Parents. What, what, uh, uh, <laughs> the, the, I can't remember the guy's name. But the guy that's a nurse, you know which movie I'm talking about? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I do. It's hilarious. He's a nurse. nurse. He's an RN. He's a registered nurse in the the emergency room. Yes. Yeah. It's nice to see men in nursing. And there's more and more men coming into nursing. So um, it's a a great field. It's a great field. And and the more nurses and nurse practitioners, the better. It's something very necessary. I really appreciate uh, nurse practitioners the other day. I went to the doctors because I had a really big problem and I, and I went to a nurse practitioner. I said, my, you know, doctor, my, or nurse, my arm really hurts when I, when I go like this. So the nurse practitioner said, don't go like that. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be $500. Right. Yeah. So that was really good advice. So another, another thing that I, that I, that we share a little bit in common French. I also had planned to study French. Yes. I, can, I can only say like two or three words, um, but it's a beautiful language. I think it's the most beautiful language. I it is very Spanish. beautiful. Spanish and English, I can say like a couple of things yes. in French. But well, my maiden language. name is French, so I've always been sort of interested in, in my French heritage. And so, you know, my, my, my maiden name is De Harport, De Harport in the you know, American accent. It doesn't sound quite as Yes. Now, so do you, so you speak French, English, how about Spanish? I wish I had learned Spanish. You know, that's one of my greatest regrets is I didn't, you know, uh, I was so focused on French and I, my, my worldview was so small back then, even though I, 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 you know, considered myself a global citizen and I still do in many ways, but I, that is one of my great, and I've taken several Spanish classes since then and medical Spanish. And thankfully my daughter is now practically fluent in Spanish. And so, you know, I keep working on it. Um, I'm not fluent in French. I took French for several years. I know enough to get around, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but I certainly wouldn't call myself fluent and I haven't spoken it for a very long time. So it's still back there somewhere, but yes, it needs some brushing up if I were to speak it. <laughs> and it is a, a beautiful language. Now, one of the things that I've learned from uh, uh, the Doctors for Camp Closure in meeting several of you uh, there's a doctor, I, her, her name starts with an N. She is from India. And I yes. asked her, she, she's joined us in several of the protests, a wonderful lady. Yes, and I, I asked her, her too. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I asked her something that uh, for me is very important because I'm always working with diversity and race relations. Mm-hmm. And it is, actually it also came from the, the movie where I saw it and I thought I had never thought about that. And it's like my doctor, my doctor now, my, my, the doctor that I've had forever retired Dr. James Morgan, and my new doctor, uh, Dr. Cabot, she's fantastic, Karnik, she's from India, and she's fantastic. But anyways, the question or the comment is this, because it might happen to you also, but probably less, because you, you know, most people are going to see you, Caucasian, and so on and so forth, but the gender issue. 
Mm-hmm. Is there ever a case when somebody says, like in her case, I said, first, the first thing I said is, is there anybody that anybody would say, oh, I don't want a doctor from India. I want a Caucasian doctor. And she came back, she goes, yes, that happens. But they also say, I want a male doctor. And I think both of those things are crazy. How common yeah. is that, that somebody would say that? Yeah, I, don't, I can't speak for physicians, but I'm sure that does happen. Um, I know as a nurse practitioner, a lot of times people say, well, I want to see the real doctor. I don't want to see a nurse, you know. Um, or or um, I know a lot of male nurses, if they work, you know, especially are prohibited from working in labor and delivery, you know, even though you have a male, they don't have any trouble with a male OBGYN, you know, uh, delivering their baby, but they have a tr- they have problems with having a male nurse help with assisting with. So there's a lot of male nurses that aren't really don't really get to um, work in those areas. Um, so yeah, absolutely, absolutely, it happens. Yeah, that's really sad because when I asked the doctor, I said, uh, "And what happens?" And then she said, "Oh well, I, I tell them I'm their doctor, and if they don't like it, that she didn't say it in this manner, but basically, <laughs> that's too bad." Uh, which I would think it should, it should be that way. It should be that because you, you shouldn't be sitting there going, oh, not acceptable. Okay, this person's acceptable. You can't yeah. do that. You know, you're doing God's work and, um, and you know, they should. Yeah. Well, what I try to do is I, I, you know, if I'm in that situation, I say, well, if you want to see the physician, that's, that's fine. You can go ahead and we can set up an appointment. And sometimes what ends up happening is the appointment for the physician is so far off that they say, you know, it's fine. I'll just see you for now. But but in that way, throughout our visit, most of them by the end of the time, like, well, you know what? I had no idea what nurse practitioners can do. And I really enjoyed seeing you. And I think I, I'd like to, you know, I end up changing some minds that way. When they, they, a lot of them, it just comes from a place of ignorance and, and um, not really understanding what our role is. And once they, once they have experience with us, most of them change their minds. You do wonderful work. And speaking of ignorance, how about when you and others have been protesting, whether it's doctors for camp closure or, or whatever the situation is, but you're protesting the fact that there's a lot of people that refuse to wear their masks, respect social distance. What kind of comments do you hear from people that are opposed to wearing a mask or trying to say, oh, you know, this isn't a real situation? How do you yeah. handle that? Thankfully, I haven't personally been in a situation where I've been protesting and people nearby haven't been wearing masks so thankfully I haven't personally you know experienced that but I have just out in the general public you know you'll have people that say I've had a few people make comments like well I actually talked to a doctor this one doctor told me that it doesn't it, I mean this is a thing that they're you know apparently un- unless these people are posing as doctors um, are hearing it from healthcare members of, of the healthcare field, which is really appalling, you know, oh, this one doctor told me that it didn't, doesn't do anything. It's just a gimmick. It's, you know, it's just, just for business. Um, and, and so those are the sorts of comments I hear. And I think people are confused. Um, although there shouldn't be any more confusion because the message has been very clear in the beginning, there was some confusion because there wasn't much information known about at the time because, uh, the masks, we were really trying to preserve masks for the healthcare providers and making that the priority. And, you know, but now the message has been very consistent for a long time. Um, unfortunately, that consistently consistency hasn't been coming from our, the federal, at the federal level, the administration. And so people that only listen to 
to uh, this current administration are still getting those mixed messages. But if you listen to the scientists, it's pretty consistent. Sure. I'm a big Dr. Fauci fan and I yeah. listen yeah. to him. Exactly what he says to do is what I try mm -hmm. to practice with the exception of a first pitch example. I, I think I could throw the better the ball better than he did uh, from, from the pitcher's mound to, <laughs> to the catcher. But apart from that, he's a, he's a hero of mine. But there are actually doctors. I, I don't remember her name, but there was that woman from Africa that came out saying to take this medication and so on and so forth. And, 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 and Trump actually replayed that and Facebook and social media took it off. Because, and, and those people, and, and it's sad that it's become a political issue. Right. If you wear the mask, you lean this way. If you don't wear the mask, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Nobody says that for seatbelts. For right. seatbelts, nobody says, I'm going to go without a seatbelt because I support this side of the aisle. Nobody says right. that. Right, right. Uh, it's just basic belt. evidence. Yeah. It's science it and, yeah. So, so what is uh, the... Uh, the, the latest as far as, you know, if somebody comes in and says, well, you know, I, I, I'm wearing the mask, respecting the social distance, but I heard that kids can't get it. So they, so they can go to school. And so what would you tell them? Yeah, well, uh, I'll say that, you know, there, there's now we're finding more and more that children ages 10 and above seem to spread it just as easily as adults do. Um, I, I, and, and, you know, so that's what I tell them is that this is, we're still, where there's so much also that we do not know about this disease. Let's remember, this is a novel virus and we don't know the long-term implications. If you look at other viruses, right? The chickenpox virus, it actually stays dormant in our nervous system until, um, it reemerges as shingles later in our lives for some, not for everybody. Right. Um, we know, so there's a lot of, a lot of viruses that HPV virus, right? If you, if you get certain strains of the HPV virus, it stays, you cannot get rid of it after, after a certain amount of time, your body doesn't clear it. Um, and then some women develop cervical cancer. So, you know, we don't really know. This is not like the flu. This is a novel virus. It's a brand new virus, and it's going to take years for us to really learn more about this. And it's a really scary situation. And of course, everybody wants the cure to be out there. Everybody wants this to be over. Nobody expected this the way it is. I mean, there's been warnings for a long, long time. Unfortunately, uh, the messages coming from the federal government, as you said, are, are the wrong messages. And it's really, really a scary time. I had a long discussion with a, a, a compadre of mine who him and I agree on a lot of things and disagree on a, on a lot of things. But this one we both agreed on. I said, why is it that, and I come from Major League Baseball, mm -hmm. why is it that, that, that these teams like Major League Baseball or football or basketball or hockey, mainly those four sports, because other sports are different, tennis, golf, track and field, that's more individual. But these other team sports, why is it that they're saying, oh, yeah, we're not going to have any fans, but you guys can play. And I'm going, that is insane. Because in baseball, for example, basketball, football, hockey, it's obvious. They're on top of each other. Right. But in baseball, that batter is right next to the catcher, right next to the umpire. So it's almost as if the owners are saying, we don't care. In many of these sports, they're communities of color. 
That's the message I'm hearing. Yeah. I say it is wrong, especially since our children, in many cases, look up to these athletes. Right. So I cannot understand how, how these sports are so in much in a hurry to get back only for the money. I know. Because they're just as prone as anybody else to get these, uh, right. to get you know, COVID-19. I know. I mean, from what I understand, they're trying to quarantine their players and they're not allowed to visit their families. So I think they're trying to limit it and do testing. But even they, with all the resources they have, are still having outbreaks. So, so if, if they're having problems with all the resources they have, I'm not sure how they expect schools to be able to stay on top of it. And that's what's re that's, I'm really afraid for these states that are you know, having schools open completely without social distancing, not wearing masks. I really am afraid for what we're going to see. I, I hope it's not as bad as I think it's going to be, but I'm just really scared for those, those kids, their families, the teachers. It's just a horrible position to be put in. I was offered a fellowship to uh, the University of Notre Dame. And as a Catholic, that's like the ultimate school. And, 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 and to go teach there. Thank God they have postponed the, the, the classes that, you know, from this fall, at least for now, until January. And who knows what's going to happen. I would imagine it'll start with Zoom. I hope that's the way it goes. But yeah. my high school, my high school, which I love very much, St. Augustine High School, sadly, the principal and five families have sued Governor, Governor Newsom because they're saying, oh, we should be able to teach. And I'm going... Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's the same thing. Here's yeah. 700 young men that are going to be in school. And because there wasn't a case with some limited classes over the summer, that's not a good enough test to say, oh, yeah, we're going to welcome everybody back. You, you yeah. have to, I don't know if you've seen the high school. It's a very small school. So everyone's going to be really close together. It is just insane to me that they're going to allow this. Hopefully yeah. they will not allow it. Hopefully because I think. Not. Yeah, I hope, I think it's really, um, you know, they're thinking about maybe the, the, the tuition instead of thinking right. about the health yeah. of, the, of the students. Yeah. And I look at the same way with major league sports or college sports for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it's a, a, an individual sport like tennis or golf, uh, that's what the, the, you could have separation there. You could have separation there, but still there's the travel and all that. So I know that uh, some of the players are saying, I'm not going to play. I think yeah. that's a good decision. Yeah. But like you said, it's such a new thing. Yeah, we don't clear. know. The evidence is very clear. People are dying. Right, right. And the U.S. has done a terrible job. Yeah. Mexico's done a terrible job. And, right. And, uh, and, and Brazil. And then there's other countries that have done an excellent job. Why can't we follow their example? It is just such a, a difficult question. So as a nurse yeah. practitioner, apart from the situation now, let's say six months ago, what would a typical day be at City College? Are you like in an office and students come in? or? How yeah, it it's, you know, it's, I love going to work every day. I love it. And I really, it just feels like a lifetime ago. Um, you know, our clinic, um, we've just moved into these new buildings about a year ago. And um, we have this beautiful facility and we make it as warm and as welcoming as possible. Students were very easily accessible. Students can either call and make an appointment or they can walk in. And you know, when they walk in, they can pretty much get an appointment the same day or right away. But they, for sure, if they can't see me as a nurse practitioner or our physician, 
um, if they can't see us, if we're busy with, a, with an appointment, they always get to see the RN, the nurse, and they can get a triage, they go through that process, um, and then if, they, if the nurse feels like they need a visit with us, then they'll have an appointment with us. Um, we do, we know we have some vaccines there, we can draw blood, we do TB skin testing, we do a lot of education. We're actually um, combined now in this new facility with the counseling, mental health counseling. So it's a wonderful model because we have counseling right there. A lot of our students come in very stressed. Obviously there's a lot of anxiety and depression with our students. So I can go in and see a student and if I, if I, find that they do have some issues with depression, anxiety. Um, I have counseling right there and we have a counselor dedicated to our clinic who's just on call waiting if, if they need us and that student can immediately be connected with, with, uh, with counseling right then and there, which is such a, so critical and, and I'm just so proud of our program that we have this um, service for our students. And City College is very diverse. and, and it's Very. The older population maybe than a regular community college. How is the issue of culture where I know that in dealing with the police or even in dealing with teachers, a lot of cultures view it a little bit different because of what they're familiar with from their culture. Is there that also in the medical field where sometimes people are hesitant? Maybe like I, I know in the Latino culture, we men are hesitant to talk to a psychologist and both my brothers are psychologists because we think, oh, that's not manly, as if there's such a right. thing. Oh, no, 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 right. my compadre, he can tell me, and I go, really? Is your compadre a psychologist? Because why would your compadre, or why would the bartender know? So, so right. do you have that issue also with different cultures? We do, and we, we're very aware of them. Uh, and we work really hard to embrace and be accepting and understand the perspective of each culture, each culture so, so that we create a safe environment. And that's our key is to, is to allow everyone to feel safe and they can be who they are. And, and, um, and we try to educate students about, you know, certain, certain cultures are resistant, like you said, to, to mental health or, or medications or whatnot. But we really work in partnership and we believe that this is a collaborative relationship we have with our students and we work together to try to make them feel as comfortable as possible and meet them where they're at. Yeah, that's because that must be really challenging. How about the language issue? When somebody comes in speaking Arabic or an, an, a, yeah. a language which maybe isn't as common in, in San Diego. Yeah, most of, our, most of our students do speak English, but occasionally, yes, we do have um, English language learners, you know, uh, and we we can, and, and again, because our campus is so diverse, not only the students, but the faculty and the staff, we can, we typically will just call someone from a neighboring department, hey, so we know so-and-so speaks Arabic, or we know so-and-so speaks fluent Spanish, and um, they'll come and translate for us. Hmm. Yeah. Now, um, for somebody that's watching our podcast, that's thinking about getting into the medical field, yeah. a younger person, what, what do you recommend? I would say, you know, really explore because it's a huge field. You know, you've got respiratory therapy, you've got physical therapy, um, nursing, you know, physician, it's so wide, physician assistants. It's a huge, you know, radiology technicians, it's a huge field. So um, I would recommend really looking at where you want to fit into this 
you know, into this system and also look at what part of it you're interested in. You know, are you an adrenaline junkie? You're really interested in sort of the emergency room and trauma and that sort of thing. And then you have ones that are more interested in prevention and education and wellness. So which part of that are you interested in? And once you figure out where you want to be, then you can focus more narrowly on the types of um, healthcare, you know, the, the, the types of work that are invo involved in the most more specific areas, but also, you know, shadow somebody, you know, shadow an EMT, shadow um, a physician, a nurse, um, talk to people, educate yourself, you know, and, and you have to really have a love of care, you know, it's, it's, it's a great field to make money in, obviously, people do very, very well, but you also have to really love what you do. It's really important to love what you do. Um, and, and that would be my advice. And I welcome anybody who has any questions about healthcare or want to, want to get into the nursing field to, um, to contact me and, and I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody. Hold wonderful. on. Let me get these cats out of this room. <laughs> I understand now what your daughter was talking about. Yes. about being in a cage. Now I know why there's yes. cages. Well, now I can't reach them. They're, they went under the bed, so I might have to. Now, now I know why the, the, the cage cat sing. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. You know, there was a, a, a time that I, I keep on my, my wrist and all that, that I went to actually a nurse practitioner because I had hurt my hand. And, yeah. and it was, you know, when I was out in the desert putting water and so forth, actually I got bit by a brown recluse spider, but I didn't feel it. And then yeah. later on, you know, they gave me medication and all this. And I was really concerned and the medication worked and I was really worried. So I asked the nurse practitioner, you know, am I going to be able to play the piano? You know, it was my hand. Yeah. And she said, sure, you'll be able to play the piano. And I said, you know, that's really strange because I never played the piano before. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so, so for my last question is the question yes. that I ask people that are on my radio show or podcast. Yeah. And it's the question, to Michelle, what is love? How, how do you explain what is love? Well, love is not just an emotion, but to me, it's an action. So you have to, you know, um, you, it, it's love for humanity. Um, of course, I love my husband. There's many different kinds of love. I love my children. I love my work. Um, so it's a descriptive term, but I think it's also an active term. And more than, more than ever, it's so important in this time to love one another as human beings. You know, um, I, I, and I even try to extend that love to people I disagree with, to those who just support Trump, because I feel like in, in a lot of ways, they are victims as well, because they are just completely misinformed and, and are voting against their own self-interests. So it's, it's, it, we must love people who we can love easily, but we also have to try to love people who are not so easy to love. And I think that's the challenge. Um, but that's, that's love to me, is, is, is a feeling and an action. And it's important for us to not, when we see something, uh, to say something, but to also take that extra step and do something. And that's what I'm trying to do in, in my small way. Um, so it's, you know, it's a, uh, it's a huge challenge what we're going through right now. Huge challenge. It is. And uh, I, I totally agree with you that love is an action. 
not just the word, one of my role models, a role model to many of us that passed away recently, Representative John Lewis. He was an example of love. And, yes. and, and it's easy to love those that agree with you. It it's, is. Uh, the challenge is that those that don't agree, and he was a good example of that. And I think he did come up with that term, I, uh, you know, that love is an action. I think that was his, um, his wise, those were his wise words. It very well might, and we might be. all do well to live by them. Yes. Well, Michelle McCurdy, thank you very much for all the work that you do. Thank you thank very you. much for being a board member of Pente Unida. Yes, we welcome I'm honored. You and, and, and all of the other board members. We will be sure to have links where people can find out more information or if they want to find out about an internship in the health field, those types of things. Absolutely. So post that. And on behalf of Sarah Bella, our producer, your host, Enrique Morones, and everybody, thank you very much for joining us on Magnificent Mujer. Every Tuesday, you can hear it on your regular podcast channels and, of course, magnificentmujer.org. So thank you very much. Love is an action, uh, not just a word. Amor, si se puede. Thank Merci you so much for having me. Thank you so thank much, you. Enrique. Okay, have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.